Loving Father, we pray that as we come uh, to your word, we pray that you would indeed speak to us uh, by your spirit, that you'd open up our hearts, our ears and our minds to receive your word and that we would be obedient to it. And we ask it also that you are glorified. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, we gather together this morning, this uh, Remembrance Day, uh, celebrating and enjoying the freedoms that we have uh, purchased for us by so many others. Uh, we live now, though, in an age of entitlement, don't we? And there's a sharpening focus on our rights these days. Uh, this meism is prevalent. Uh, the American Declaration of Independence speaks of inalienable rights, can't even say it, to the preservation of life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. The United Nations Declaration of Human Rights is increasingly adopted around the world and we hear much about women's rights, gay rights, rights of children, rights of refugees. And this emphasis on human rights owes much to the Bible's teaching that every human being is created in God's image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And so we give that the thumbs up, don't we? That every individual holds this equal, special dignity and uniqueness that no other creature on the planet possesses. What is it? We're made in God's image. And whilst Christians are right to care and we are right to contend for the good of others, we should not always seek to uphold our own rights. Paul teaches clearly in 1 Corinthians 9 that it's not all about you. That in fact the Christian way often involves giving up our rights for the sake of others. Last week in chapter 8, Paul taught the Corinthians that although we might be free to take a particular action, even on account of the scriptures, yet as a matter of love for others, we must always be willing to forego our rights. Love is more important than even knowledge. And now in chapter 9, Paul offers a practical example for them to follow. Paul himself had the right to receive financial support for his ministry when he was in Corinth, but he gave that right up, that right up and did not ask for money out of selfless love for others. In chapter 9, verse 1, you can see it there. Paul asks, and he's defending himself at this point, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? And the Corinthians are implying, well, we're not so sure, Paul. We're not sure on either count. The Corinthians were familiar with travelling philosophers who would go from town to town offering their particular brand of wisdom. Some even became celebrities. Their message was attractive and their communication skills were just brilliant and just as actors are ranked according to how large their fee is, 
the importance of these speakers was judged by how much they were able to charge. And yet, when Paul stayed over, he asked for no support. In fact, he refused it. And he went about doing his tent-making thing, which to many was, well, that's more than a little undignified for someone who claims to be an apostle. Because, you know, if Paul was really an apostle, if he was really someone appointed by the risen Christ of all people, if he was the real deal, then he'd be surely pulling the big bucks, wouldn't he? Paul defends himself by stressing that he knows his right as an apostle to be materially supported in ministry. And so verses 3 to 6, This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Kephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? And on he goes. Again in verses 9 to 12 he shows support for this principle from the Old Testament and even from Jesus himself. Verse 9, For it's written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he has this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But, here it is, you know it's important when Paul says but, don't you? But, we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. There, verse 12 is a Bible verse for your fridge. You know how some people write Bible verses on their fridge or it's on the back of their toilet door or it becomes a screensaver. There is a Bible verse for your fridge that we would put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. I might try that at the staff meeting tomorrow. See how we go with that. At the time, there are plenty of public orators, speakers, They're getting on the soapbox and they're interested in lining their own pockets and they're doing this public speaking all in the name of spirituality. And maybe Paul was worried about being lumped in with them as someone motivated by money, that they then wouldn't take Paul's message seriously. He had missed out on a more comfortable lifestyle. Yet for Paul... His reward was simply being able to preach the gospel without doing anything that would make it harder for others to accept it. And this governed his whole life. Whole life. Verse 19. Though I am free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. At this point, it's, it's, it's likely that one of the charges against Paul, because remember this is a defence, was inconsistency. 
All right, I mean, how would he dare pronounce on the matter of food sacrifice to idols that we heard last week? How would he dare tell others what to do when he himself didn't seem to have his own mind made up? See, the attack goes like this. You know, sometimes he's being a good Jew, which means he's observing the food laws, but at other times he ignores them. Isn't he just a weak character that succumbs to peer pressure? Or is he one of those blokes that, you know, likes to run with the foxes one day and hunts with the hounds the other? Maybe he's just theologically unclear. He doesn't understand that he's free. And so in response, Paul is saying, no, I'm not inconsistent. He is always stuck with the principle that the gospel is more important than any of his human rights. Let me say that again. Today of all days, the gospel for the Apostle Paul is always more important than his own human rights, even his right to a living. He was always willing to adapt to the sensibilities of others so as to avoid putting unnecessary barriers that will prevent people hearing the gospel. Paul will even go backwards, if you like. I mean, do you fancy dipping your toe into Judaism? Well, with Paul, he says in verse 20, To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. And we might say, oh, well, Food laws are a barrier to the gospel. He shouldn't do that. But Paul will say, no, there's an opportunity there. Because the kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking. He's free. Free to become a Jew. Free to partake. I'm free, Paul would say, but lest the Jew be offended, you know, I'm going to work with it. So that I can do the concrete thing the greater thing of sharing the good news of Jesus with them. But what about those who aren't Jews? What about those who don't have to worry about the ceremonial food restrictions? Well, Paul says, well, to them I'll become like them as well. Bring on the bacon sambos. Bring on the prawns. I mean, can you see the Apostle Paul... There he is down at the local footy game. They're playing footy on the Sabbath, would you believe it? And there's the Apostle Paul. And he's even put up one of his own tents so that his new Gentile friends can have some shade. And uh, on the top of it, it says, Apostle Paul tents, buy them here. All right. And he's eating meat pies and he's eating sausage sandwiches. And you know what's in the sausage. It's pork sausage on the Sabbath and he's sitting with these new Gentile friends and he's throwing down even a cold beer. Can you see it? And these mates of Paul, I tell you, they're they're really unclean. They're not kosher at all, literally. They're not clean with what comes out of their mouths and it's been a long time since they've had a bath too. And then Paul... Paul's friends ask him, hey, Paul, great tent. Is this what you do for a job? And he says, no, no, I'm an apostle. Uh, I have a boss. His name's the Lord Jesus. 
I actually want to share him with you. To the Jew, he'll become a Jew. He won't do any of that, and he certainly probably won't talk about that. And to the Gentile, he'll become a Gentile. All so that we can hear the gospel. Verse 22. If there is a key verse in this chapter, this might be it. I've become all things to all men, all people if you like, so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul is a chameleon for Christ. And this is not compromise. This isn't underhanded or deceitful. If there were any cultural factors that got in the way, it was Paul that was determined to adapt. It was Paul that made the change. He never asked them to change. Because Paul wanted to be all things to all men, all people. Now the Corinthians, they're individualistic. Their concern focuses on themselves their freedoms and their rights. And that's a contemporary mindset, isn't it? Nothing new under the sun still rings true today. We belong to a generation of individuals who are conscious of our rights and we are quick to assert them because, again, it's all about me, right? But Paul is clear that as Christians, we are not to be concerned uh, we, are, we are to be concerned not for ourselves above all, but for others. Even when God's word and our conscience tells us that we are free to do something, uh, Paul's saying, you know, you should refrain from doing it if it might have a negative effect on other Christians, chapter 8, or even non-believers in chapter 9. The gospel is more important than your rights. The gospel is more important than your rights. We should not ask simply, what am I free to do? But also, what will make it easier for others to hear the gospel? Now, what this passage doesn't mean Paul's example doesn't mean that all Christian workers should give up their right to support. Uh, Paul's already said it's okay, it's appropriate. In fact, in Philippians 4, uh, it shows there on occasions where Paul did take material support. It's only in this context he does it. He gave up his rights in situations where he feared that in receiving money, that might provide an excuse for non-believers to discredit him and not take his message seriously. And those occasions might be rare, but excessive payments of evangelists and payments, and for us especially those we find on TV, can cause a stumbling block to non-believers. The preacher who drives a Rolls Royce or gets around in his own personal Learjet and wears expensive jewellery and lives in a mansion is bound to be suspected of preaching to make money rather than commending Christ. 
But while excessive riches is a problem on one hand, inadequate provision for pastors is probably more common. And that's something our diocese works hard at. And that's something our parish council works very hard at. And at this point, you need to know, I think they do a cracking job on that front. Uh, I don't look like I'm starving, do I? And my children are well fed? And I have shoes on my feet? Well, that's good. But it's not so easy in other nearby centres. We know, we know that true to be true. Paul's example of becoming all things to all people contains many challenging applications for us. Let me share with you one application that Tanya and I experienced. We were doing a short-term mission trip in central Australia. We were visiting a community and we learned a lot about their particular customs. And the place was uh, Canteen Creek, uh, where one custom was zero alcohol. Uh, women were to wear floor-length skirts. And single men and single women were not to walk down the street together to the shop lest the rest of the mob thought they were a married couple. Because you don't do that unless you're married. So, well, the team had great fun with that. Question, are we free to drink alcohol as Christians? Well, Tanya and I are of the view that, yes, we are free in moderation. Uh, is Tanya free to wear shorts? And we might say, yeah, of course she's free to wear shorts. Uh, is the single person on the team, are, we, are they free to walk where they like, when they like, with who they like? And of course, yes, we're free. But those rights in this context are set aside for the sake of this Indigenous community. None of those things matter compared to the privilege of sharing the gospel with them. And so we would do anything, even those little things, to make sure we weren't a stumbling block to them. It's the all things to all men principle. Can you imagine if we stood our ground on any of those freedoms, the gospel would be lost in all that cultural stuff that we know doesn't matter, but it's important to them. And so we just go with it. We set aside any rights as a really small sacrifice out of love and respect, but ultimately so that the gospel will be heard. The challenge of chapter 9 extends far beyond, though, what we eat and what we wear, because it forces us to ask whether we live above all for ourselves or whether we live above all under Christ for others. This passage asks us, do we share Christ's concern for the lost? And if so, am I prepared to make costly decisions for the sake of winning them? Contemporary spirituality tends to be self-indulgent, where people chase after experiences that make them feel better about themselves. And it holds little place or no place for the cross of Jesus Christ, unless, of course, it's an attractive ornament. But by contrast, true spirituality, as modelled by Christ, makes sacrifices for the spiritual benefit of others. 
where we're willing to literally take up our cross and follow our Saviour, to deny ourselves for the sake of others. That's Mark chapter 8. And this is what motivates missionaries to give up their rights to a comfortable life in the country of their birth. They leave family and friends. They cross cultures so they can reach the unreached with the gospel. And why do they do it? Well, it's because the eternal future of other people is at stake. Those who have no otherwise access to the gospel. And this is why our partnership is so important to that. They go as an extension of this church family. Whether it's the Edwardses in Italy, or the Oldfields in Cloncurry, or even the Applebee's in Cambodia. They make sacrifices. They lay it all down for the spiritual benefit of others. And in turn... So must we. It's this gospel priority that spurs wealthy Christians who don't use their freedom to ensure the most luxurious life possible, but instead prefers a more modest lifestyle so they can give more fully to the work of the gospel. And why do they do that? Well, they do it because people's eternal future is at stake. The future is either an eternal crown or eternal condemnation. The future is either paradise or punishment. And the key point of difference in all of this is one's response to Jesus Christ. The one who laid it all down. The one who gave up all his rights so that we could be right with God. Therefore, see in chapter 9 that Paul would do anything for the cause we call the gospel. The question must be, would we? Would you? See that Paul would do anything and count any cost for his risen Saviour. That he would put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. It's almost like it's impossible to offend the guy. Verse 22, to the weak, I have become weak, so as to win the weak. Verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. Preaching the gospel, this good news of Jesus, sharing this love is reward enough for Paul. And so we must ask ourselves again, is this true of us? Do we share Christ's return, concern for the lost? Would we do anything in our power for the good, for the salvation of another? And so may God move us out of our comfort zone, our safe, comfortable, quiet life here in Inverell, uh, may this passage be a burr in our saddles this week and every other week. May we be willing to become all things to all people for the cause of the gospel so that we too might see some saved. May we be people who would put up with anything 
rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. May we be willing to make sacrifices for the sake of others. May we share Christ's concern for the lost, willing to make costly decisions for the sake of seeing people one for Christ. Because, friends, their eternal future is at stake. Amen.